After reciting the Tashahud Ta'uz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalib the Masih the Fifth, Ayyadullah Ta'ala Ibn stated, Accounts about Hazrat Umar's era of Khilafat were previously being narrated. The following is written with regards to the wars that were fought and the conquests during that period. This part of history spans from 13 Hijri up to 23 Hijri. Hazrat Umar's era of Caliphate spanned approximately 10 and a half years. Mentioning the vast conquests that took place during that period, Allama Shibli Nomani writes in his book, The entire area of land conquered by Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu spanned over 2,251,030 square miles. The following areas were part of this. Syria, Egypt, Iran, Iraq, Khuzestan, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Persia, Kerman, Khorasan and Makran, which also includes a part of Balochistan. Muslim conquests and victories began in the era of Hazrat Abu Bakr During the era of Hazrat Abu Bakr, the Muslim army took part in jihad in Syria and Iraq and there was fighting on several fronts simultaneously. This continued in a similar manner during the Khilafat of Hazrat Umar One notable aspect during the Khilafat of Hazrat Umar was that despite all his engagements, it was as if he was part of the Muslim army in each and every victory. Even though he did not take part in any of the battles during his Khilafat, he would send comprehensive instructions from Medina to the Muslim commanders with regards to the army, or would remain in constant contact with them wherever he was. In fact, it is clear from certain battles that Hazrat Umar would continue writing to the Muslim commanders on a daily basis. Whilst in Medina, 
Hazrat Umar would send instructions with regards to the arrangement and formation of the Muslim army and grant them such information and guidance about these places as though Hazrat Umar had a map of the area or as though these areas were right in front of him. In relation to Hazrat Umar Imam Bukhari has written in Sahih Bukhari that Qala Umar radiallahu anhu inni la'ujahhiru jayshi wa ana fi-salat that Hazrat Umar would say I arrange my army whilst I am engaged in formal prayers in other words he was so concerned in this regard that he would be engaged in arranging and making plans for the Muslim armies even during the formal prayer he would also pray during this time this is the very reason that we are able to see on numerous occasions that owing to following his instructions and through the grace and blessings of Allah the Almighty, the Muslim armies passed through the most difficult of circumstances and yet were victorious. Sayyid Mir Mahmud Ahmed Sahib has written a thesis regarding the caliphate of Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu. Those who compile these notes like the research cell, have benefited from this and also taken some points from this. Nevertheless, these have been checked with the original sources and are correct. Regarding the conquests of Iran and Iraq, he writes that during the time of Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu, a war began against the people of Persia. In the meantime, Hazrat Abu Bakr fell ill and as a result of this, there were delays in receiving instructions by the Muslim armies. Therefore, Hazrat Muthanna appointed his deputy from the Muslim army and presented himself before Hazrat Abu Bakr so that he could personally inform him of the circumstances of the battle and seek for further reinforcements. Hazrat Muthanna arrived in Medina and subsequently informed Hazrat Abu Bakr of the state of affairs. Hazrat Abu Bakr called for Hazrat Umar and gave the following instructions. O Umar, listen carefully to what I say and then act upon it accordingly. Today is Monday, and I believe that I will pass away today. Hazrat Abu Bakr is saying this. If I pass away, then before nightfall, encourage the people towards jihad and send them along with Muthanna. However, if I pass away in the night, then before sunrise, gather the Muslims and send them with Muthanna. Regardless of the impact my demise will have, it should not stop you from fulfilling the commandments of the faith and God Almighty. You will have observed what I did at the time of the Holy Prophet's demise, even though no one had experienced such a tragic event like that before. By God, if at that time I had shown even the slightest negligence in fulfilling the instructions of the Holy Prophet God Almighty would have destroyed us and punished us and Medina would have been lit up in flames. Thus, after the demise of Hazrat Abu Bakr as soon as Hazrat Umar became the Khalifa, he immediately fulfilled this instruction and the very next day after the burial of Hazrat Abu Bakr he gathered all the people. 
Many people had come from various parts of the land to perform the bayt at the times of the Khalifa, and this influx remained for three days. Hazrat Umar saw this as a perfect opportunity and began to direct their attention towards jihad because the Arabs had been overawed for quite some time by the might and power of the Iranian Empire and also their exceptional military strength. For a long time the people believed that Iraq was the capital of the Iranian Empire and thought that it could not be conquered without Hazrat Khalid. Therefore, they remained quiet. Hazrat Umar advised the people for a few days, but this had no impact on the people. Subsequently, on the fourth day, Hazrat Umar delivered such a passionate address that people were greatly moved and their religious zeal was impassioned. Hazrat Abu Ubaid bin Mas'ud Thaqafi came forward and loudly proclaimed that I am ready for this and presented his name to partake in the jihad. After him, Hazrat Sa'ad bin Rabi and Salid bin Qais came forward and as soon as they stepped forward, the religious zeal of the Muslims was kindled in their hearts and they all passionately came forward and presented their names to take part in the jihad that was taking place in Iraq. Initially, Hazrat Khalid bin Walid was the commander of the army in Iraq, but in the final stages of his life, Hazrat Abu Bakr sent him to Syria in view of the importance of the battles taking place in Syria. Hazrat Musanna had now taken charge of the Muslim army in Iraq. During this time, when Hazrat Umar was inviting people to present their names to partake in the battles in Iraq, Hazrat Musanna was also present in Medina. Hazrat Muthanna also delivered a very inspirational address and stated, O people, do not consider this battle to be extremely difficult and challenging. We fought the Persians and defeated them, and God willing, we will once again be victorious. Thus, after hearing these speeches, an army consisting of soldiers from Medina and its neighboring areas was now ready to take part in the battles in Iraq. According to Tabari and Baladuri, this army consisted of 1,000 soldiers. And according to Allama Abu Hanifa Denawari, the author of Kitab al-Akhbar al-Tiwal, the army consisted of 5,000 soldiers. It seems that initially upon departing from Medina, it was 1,000, but by the time it reached the battlefields, it was 5,000. This is because Baladuri and Abu Hanifa have mentioned that whenever they passed by an Arab tribe along the way, the commander of the army would invite them to join. Now as to the question of who would be the leader of this army, even though Hazrat Muthanna was the overall commander of the army, but who was going to be the leader of this newly formed contingent? Owing to Hazrat Umar's perceptiveness, he appointed Abu Ubaid Thaqafi. Many people felt that the companions who had accepted Islam right from the early days and had sacrificed their blood to irrigate the plant of Islam, as it were, had been overlooked and the person who had come much later had been appointed as their leader. Upon this, Hazrat Umar stated, If the companions hold any distinction, it is purely owing to the fact that they always remained at the forefront of serving Islam and bravely stood up against the enemy for the defense of Islam. 
However, since they have remained behind on this occasion, therefore they have given away this right of theirs. Thus, on this occasion, the first person who came forward in order to defend Islam was the one who had the right to take the role of the commander. After Hazrat Abu Bayd, it was Saad bin Ubaid and Salid bin Qais who then responded to the call of Hazrat Umar to partake in the battles in Iraq. Hazrat Umar addressed both of them and said, If you had responded to my call first, then owing to the fact that you are among the early people who accepted Islam, I would have handed the command to you. However, apart from the aforementioned reason, another reason to hand the command to Abu Ubaid instead of Salid bin Qais was because Hazrat Umar had stated that a person with a calm disposition was required for this role, who would carry out the planning of the battle in a composed and careful manner. However, Salit bin Qais has proven to be very hasty in matters relating to the battlefield. But despite granting the command to Abu Abayd owing to him being the first to respond to his call, Hazrat Umar did not deem it appropriate to ignore the past services rendered by the noble companions of the Holy Prophet and their past experiences. Hence, Hazrat Umar instructed Hazrat Abu Ubaid Thakafi to seek consultation from the companions and to accept their suggestions in the organizational matters. This entire incident has been taken from Tariq al-Tabari. A battle took place in 13 Hijri, which is known as the Battle of Namariq and Kaskar. Prior to Hazrat Abu Ubayd departing with his army, Hazrat Muthanna had returned to Al-Hira. Al-Hira was the capital city of an ancient Arab government in Iraq and was situated to the west of the Euphrates, where later Kufa was founded. Hazrat Muthanna returned to Al-Hira and assumed the control of his army. However, the situation changed very quickly, and Hazrat Muthanna and his army had to move back. The details of this are as follows. Disagreements and differences had arisen in the court of the Persian rulers. However, a new and powerful personality emerged. Rustam, who was the son of the governor of Khurasan, Farakhzad. Rustam was appointed as the ruler of the people by the Persian court and all various officials of the government who were previously in disagreement with one another and divided and were weakening the strength of their rule were now in complete obedience to Rustam. Rustam was a very courageous and astute man. As soon as he assumed leadership, he sent his people to those areas which had been conquered by the Muslims and instigated a rebellion. He greatly impassioned the people dwelling in the neighboring areas of the Euphrates against the Muslims and also sent an army to fight against Hazrat Muthanna. In light of these conditions, Hazrat Muthanna felt that the most appropriate course of action was to move back a little from their positions. Thus, he left Al-Hira and set up camp in Khafan, which is situated close to Kufa. Rustam, on the other hand, was readying for battle and had prepared a large army and sent them along two different routes to fight against the Muslims. 
One army was under the command of Jaban, which arrived in Namadik. Namadik is also situated in Iraq, close to Kufa. The other army was sent under the command of Narsi, towards Kaskar. Kaskar is a city situated to the west of the Tigris River and lies between Baghdad and Basra, where today the city of Wasit is. It had only been a month since Hazrat Muthanna arrived back from Medina when the army under the command of Hazrat Abu Ubaid also arrived in Khafan and joined them. Khafan is also situated close to Kufa. This army consisting of a few thousand soldiers arrived at the battlefield at a time when the situation was not very favourable for the Muslims in Iraq. And the Muslims were gradually losing hold of the areas which they had previously conquered. After spending a few days in Khafan in order to gather and organise the army, Hazrat Abu Ubaid thereafter headed towards Namarik. In Namarik, a powerful army under an elderly and experienced warrior, Jaban, was camped there. Hazrat Abu Ubaid organised the army and handed the flag of the army to Hazrat Muthanna. He gave the command of the right flank to Walik bin Judara and appointed Amr bin Haytham as the commander of the left flank. The two wings of the Persian forces were commanded by Jushan Ma and Mardan Shah. In relation to the Islamic teachings which were demonstrated during this battle, Mir Mahmud Ahmed Sahib has commented on this. There was a fierce battle in Namarik, whereby the Persians suffered defeat. And during this battle, an example of the lofty Islamic morals was demonstrated. The Persian army's commander-in-chief, Jaban, was taken captive. But Matar bin Fiza, who arrested him, did not recognize Jaban. Taking advantage of this fact, Jaban offered Fidya and secured his freedom. A little while later, the Muslims once again captured Jaban and brought him to Hazrat Abu Ubaid and told him of the rank Jaban held in the Persian army. However, Hazrat Abu Ubaid did not approve that he be arrested once again after the Muslims had already taken Fidya. The people insisted that Jaban was like their king. However, Hazrat Abu Ubaid stated, I will not act dishonorably. Subsequently, Jaban was released. This incident reflects the high morals which were part of the Muslim army's conduct. And even if there was an advantage to be taken, however, they would never abandon their morals. Then there was a battle of Saqatiya, which took place in 13 Hijri. Having suffered defeat in the Battle of Namarik, the Iranian army retreated to Kaskar, where the Iranian commander Narsi had already gathered a large army to counter the Muslim army. Abu Ubaid headed towards Kaskar to take on this army. Narsi, the commander of the Iranian army at Kaskar, had a high standing amongst the courtiers of the king. The commanders of the two flanks of the Iranian army, Bandoya 
and Turawiya were close relatives of the Sassanian kings. News of the defeat at Namarik reached the Iranian king. Rustam was still making arrangements to send reinforcements in order to assist Narsi when Abu Ubaid advanced his army swiftly and arrived in the lower areas of Kaskar before the reinforcements could arrive, i.e. they attacked them at a place which was known as Sakatiya. After an intense battle and owing to the grace of Allah the Almighty, the Muslims were victorious in the Battle of Sakatiya. After the main battle had ceased, Hazrat Abu Ubaid sent smaller contingents to confront the enemy armies that were present in the surrounding areas of Kaskar. Then there is mention of the Battle of Barusma, which also took place in 13 Hijri. Barusma was a place situated between Kaskar and Sakatiya and was where they confronted the Iranian general Jalinus who was sent to assist Jaban. Rustam had prepared an army to assist Narsi and sent it to Kaskar. Abu Ubaid had received information of this and with great wisdom and alertness, Abu Ubaid attacked the army of Narsi before the arrival of Jalinus army and the resulting defeat broke the strength of the enemy army. At this time, Jalinus had arrived with his army at Bakos Nyasa in the Barusma area. He reached Bakos Nyasa. The settlements between Basra and Kufa was known as Ardo Sawad and Barusma and Bakos Nyasa were two of these settlements. Abu Awaid arrived in Bakos Yasa and after a brief battle, the Iranians were defeated. Jalinus fled from there and Abu Ubaid gained complete control of the surrounding areas. This is the account by the historian Tabari. But Baladri has written that an agreement was made with Jalinus. However, later historians such as Ibn Khaldun and Ibn Athir supported the view of Tabari. I mentioned about the Battle of Jisr a short while ago, but it is necessary to mention here also. The Battle of Jisr also took place in 13 Hijri at the banks of the Euphrates River between the Muslims and the Iranians. The commander-in-chief of the Muslim army was Hazrat Abu Ubaid al-Saqafi and the Iranian commander-in-chief was Bahman Jazviya. The Muslim army numbered 10,000 and the Iranian army consisted of 30,000 soldiers and 300 elephants. Since the Euphrates River ran between them, the two armies abstained from fighting for a while, to the extent that owing to mutual agreement, a jisr, i.e. a bridge, was made and hence it was known as the Battle of Jisr. When the bridge was constructed, Bahman Jadzuya 
sent a message to Hazrat Abu Abayd asking whether the Muslims would cross the bridge or would they grant permission for them to cross over. Hazrat Abu Abayd was of the opinion that the Muslims should cross over and fight the enemy, whereas Hazrat Salid, one of the commanders of the Muslim army, was of the opinion contrary to this. However, Hazrat Abu Abayd crossed the Euphrates River and launched an attack on the Iranians. For a short while, the fight ensued. Upon seeing his army scattering, Bahman Jazwiya ordered the elephants to advance. Owing to the elephants charging, the ranks of the Muslim army broke and they began to scatter. Hazrat Abu Ubaid said to the Muslims, O servants of Allah, attack the elephants and cut off their trunks. After this, Hazrat Abu Ubaid marched forward and attacked an elephant, cutting off its trunk. Seeing this, the rest of the Muslim army rushed forwards and cut off the legs and trunks of the elephants and killed their riders. Inadvertently, Hazrat Abu Ubaid came in front of an elephant. He succeeded in cutting off its trunk. However, the elephant trampled over him, as a result of which he was martyred. In Tariq al-Tabari, there is a narration that before this battle, Doma, the wife of Hazrat Abu Ubaid, saw a dream in which a man brought a vessel containing a drink from paradise, and Hazrat Abu Ubaid and Jabr bin Ubaid drank from it. Similarly, a few members of his family also drank from it. Doma narrated this dream to her husband. Hazrat Abu Ubaid stated that this dream indicated towards martyrdom. After this, Hazrat Abu Ubaid urged the people that if he were to be martyred, then Jabr would be the commander-in-chief. And if he is martyred, then such and such person would lead the army. Thus, whosoever drank from the vessel in the dream, Hazrat Abu Ubaid appointed them in the same order as commander-in-chief. He then said, If Abul Qasim is martyred, then Hazrat Muthanna will be your leader. The dream of Doma was fulfilled to the letter. After Hazrat Abu Ubaid, the six persons named would take the flag of leadership and were martyred one after another. Hazrat Muthanna was the eighth person to take up the Islamic flag and decided to launch a powerful attack. But the ranks of the Muslim army had become disrupted and seeing seven consecutive leaders being martyred, the people began to scatter and some jumped in the sea. Hazrat Muthanna and his comrades continued fighting valiantly. During the course of the battle, Hazrat Muthanna was injured and returned after crossing the Euphrates River. In this battle, the Muslims suffered a significant loss. 4,000 Muslims were martyred, whereas 6,000 Iranians were killed. This loss would have resulted in detrimental effects for the Muslims for longer. But fortunately, it so happened that the enemy could not chase the Muslims because there was a rift amongst the Iranian kings, as a result of which Bahman Jadviya had to return. Ibn Athir has written that in Madain, the capital of the Iranian Empire, one faction of the courtiers of the king revolted against Rustam.
As a Muslim author has also written about the Battle of Jisr. One of the biggest and harrowing defeats faced by the Muslims was during the Battle of Jisr. A very strong army of Muslims had been sent to fight against the Persian forces. The Persian forces had set up their trenches on the opposite side of the river and were sat in wait. When the Muslim army approached, they attacked the Persian forces with great intensity and went right through them. However, this was the ploy of the commander of the Persian army. He then sent another contingent from the side who took control of the bridge and then launched an attack against the Muslim army. The Muslims planned to move back, but noticed that the bridge had been seized by the enemy. They anxiously moved to another side, but came under a fierce attack from the enemy, and many of the Muslims were left with no choice but to jump into the river and died. This was such a dangerous loss suffered by the Muslim army that its news left Medina in shock. Hazrat Umar gathered the people of Medina and stated, Now there is nothing that remains between Persia and Medina. Medina had become completely exposed, and it is possible that the enemy may reach here in just a matter of days. Therefore, I wish to go myself as the commander of the army. Everyone agreed to this suggestion. However, Hazrat Ali stated, If, God forbid, you were to be martyred, the unity of the Muslims will end and they will be dispersed. Therefore, you should not go, but send someone else instead. Upon this, Hazrat Umar wrote to Hazrat Saad, who at the time was engaged in battle against the Byzantines in Syria, and stated that he should send however many people he could because Medina was left completely exposed. If the enemy was not stopped immediately, they would eventually take control of Medina. There are accounts remaining which, God willing, I will narrate in the future. These were the details regarding this battle. Further details regarding other battles will also be mentioned in the future. At present, I wish to speak about some deceased members and, God willing, will lead their funeral prayers in absentia. The first is of Fathi Abdus Salam Sahib. His full name is Fathi Abdus Salam Sahib of Egypt. He passed away recently at the age of 75. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Fatih Sahib's father was a follower of the Naqshbandi order and had vowed to dedicate one of his sons in order to attain religious knowledge and chose Fatih Sahib for this. By the age of 10, Fatih Sahib had memorized the Holy Quran. Owing to his love for the Holy Quran, Fatih Sahib's father also began memorizing the Quran alongside him and memorized it in its entirety. Later on, God blessed him with the opportunity of pledging allegiance at the age of 88. After memorizing the Holy Quran, Fatih Sahib completed his education from high school affiliated with Al-Hazr with notable success. He then obtained a degree in engineering from Cairo University. He had a passion for learning and during his time as a student, he would save up from his pocket money to purchase books and would study them. He then became an officer in the Egyptian Air Force. Whilst in the armed forces, he was accused of secretly being part of Islamic revolutionary movements. Even though he was against such movements and would try to reform them, nevertheless, owing to this accusation, he spent some time in jail, after which he was acquitted. After this, he went to Iraq and worked there for some time as an engineer. 
In the 1991 Iraq war, a dangerous situation arose. One night, 10 bombs dropped on the area he resided in. He, along with his family, remained occupied in supplications, and Allah the Almighty saved them in extraordinary circumstances. He then moved to Jordan and joined the Mu'tazili sect. He then returned to Egypt and was inclined towards the Ahl Quran sect when he was introduced to the Jamaat. In Ahmadiyyat, he found the answer to all the issues he was concerned about, and so he took the Pledge of Allegiance. Fatih Zaib himself narrates the way in which he pledged his allegiance, saying, In 1995, I had the opportunity to deliver lectures on many occasions and answer various questions at an educational center in Egypt called Ibn Khaldun. In 1998, Mustafa Thabit Sahib heard one of my lectures at the center. He praised me a lot and invited me to his home where he showed me a three-hour-long video cassette in which the late respected Hilmi Shafi Sahib expounded upon the various matters with regards to the Dajjal mentioned in the Ahadith, which I really enjoyed. Fatih Sahib then says, Upon my questioning, Mustafa Sabit Sahib said that this commentary is by the promised Messiah, the one sent to slay the Dajjal. He then says, In 1999, Mustafa Sabit Sahib handed me the book The Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam, which brought about a wonderful revolution within me. And I decided to begin researching thoroughly into the Imam Mahdi. From my own research, I came to the conclusion that the concept of abrogation is completely wrong and against the sanctity of the Holy Quran. I was also an advocate for freedom of religion. So I began researching into Ahmadiyyad and found that it preaches exactly the same. Then, after posing questions about various verses of the Holy Quran, Mustafa Sabit Sahib handed me the five-volume commentary, saying that all the answers are found therein. After reading it, I found all the questions answered in exact accordance with my line of thinking and expectations. Fatih Sahib states, I pondered a great deal over the fact that falsely claiming to receive divine revelation is a grave injustice. Yet the teachings presented by the Imam Mahdi, i.e. the Promised Messiah, are all based upon the truth, guidance and spirituality. A person can present a few sound arguments, but to expound upon matters with true interpretations in such vast numbers has not been granted by Allah the Almighty to anyone else in this entire century. So has Allah the Almighty bestowed this wonderful blessing upon such a person who commits a grave injustice by claiming to be a recipient of divine revelation. Eventually, after praying, reading and pondering, when Mustafa Sabit Sahib came to Egypt in 2001, I told him that I have accepted the Imam Mahdi. Due to his strong emotions, he could not believe what I had said for a short moment. Thereafter, I began reading the Arabic books of the Promise of Islam and found in them a sea of knowledge and truths. Fatih Sahib's scholarly services rendered to the Jamaat are such that in 2005 he translated his Muslimal's book Life of Muhammad from English to Arabic.
He regularly took part in the Al-Hawal al-Mubashir programs in which he would very passionately give sound and comprehensive answers which the members of the Jamaat enjoyed thoroughly. An Egyptian Christian priest had run a series about allegations against the Holy Quran by the name Hal al-Quran Kalamullah Is the Quran the Word of God? In response to this, Fatih Sahib began airing a new series in 2006 by the name Innahu Kalamullah meaning, yes, it is indeed the word of God. He was also part of a program about the Arabic poetry of the Prophet by the name Ruhul Qudus, in which he very beautifully expounded upon the miracles in the wording and the meanings of the poems. Apart from that, he also participated in numerous programs such as Fulfilled Prophecies, Knowledge in Barahina Ahmadiyya, Fi Samawatil Quran, The History of Islam, The Seal of the Prophets, etc. Aside from this, he rendered many services to the community. He served as a local Tablig secretary for a long period of time. He presented himself to dedicate his life, hence, rendering services to the community as a life devotee for many years. He would also deliver lectures at the community centers. His son Ibrahim Fatih Saib says, My late father lived his life in light of Surah Al-Fatiha. His life was filled with the light of the blessings of Khilafat. He had an incredible love and respect for the Khalifa of the time. He believed that the only answer to all problems and troubles and the only way to recognize the path that leads to God was through Khilafat. My father was well known for being completely honest in both his words and actions. Before undertaking any task, he would pray fervently to God Almighty. If anyone ever asked for advice, he would tell them to pray, ask God to guide them to the right path and to write to the Khalifa for prayers. He had deep knowledge and a deep level of understanding. He was very well read. He read books on every subject and would persist in trying to understand new concepts and studies. His time studying and acquiring knowledge was spent in understanding and teaching the intricacies of religion. His way of teaching was excellent and would occasionally indulge in humor too. He would always study the books of the Prophet Sallallahu and extract pearls of knowledge therein in order to act upon them as a guiding path in his everyday life. He would mention these points in his lectures on Fridays and also during various MTA programs. He was very passionate to serve his faith and it is said that when he became ill and was admitted to hospital, he still preached to the nurses about Ahmadiyyat despite having difficulties breathing. The high morals he would exhort to others were reflected by his conduct at home. In times of hardship or ease, he would adhere to the truth and righteousness. He had a deep longing to meet with Allah the Almighty. He would often say that this world has no value and true salvation, in fact, is working towards the afterlife in this very world. He would frequently speak of his desire of meeting God Almighty. During his final days, his son recounts that whenever his father would notice that he was worried, 
he would tell him to sit by him and recite Surah Al-Fatiha and Durud Sharif because illnesses cannot be cured without God's command and only he has all knowledge of the remedy. He would say, medicines have no effect without God's command. I do not concern myself with this world and only desire to meet God Almighty. The same son writes, My mother would say, My husband would give precedence to serving the Jamaat over every other work. Most of his time he spent out preaching and the blessings yielded thereby are seen in the extraordinary protection Allah the Almighty has granted our children. Dr. Hatim Hilmi Shafi Sahib writes, Our brother and esteemed teacher, Fati Abdul Salam Sahib, was in truth among those about whom Allah the Almighty has stated that among the believers there are those who have fulfilled their oaths made to God. Regarding his life from the time he took bayat to his demise, Dr. Hatim Sahib writes, I perceived him to be an extraordinary person. He was intoxicated by the love for God Almighty and his attributes and his unity. He was a lover of the Holy Prophet and the Holy Quran and lost himself in his love for Surah Al-Fatiha. In his valuable lectures, he was immersed in the lofty meanings of the commentary of the Surah Al-Fatiha written by the Prophet Hussain al-Misri Sahib writes from Jordan, Respected Fatih Sahib loved the Prophet Muhammad and Qadiyan. He had firm faith in Khilafat and was a very scholarly person. He continues to relate an incident stating, We attended Jalsa Salana Qadiyan together in 2018. He continues, When I arrived in Qadiyan, I was hosted at Sarai Wasim residence. Respected Fatih met me there with great affection. In the evenings after the proceedings of Jalsa, he would speak to me about Brahim Ahmadiyya. He was in love with Qadian. About Qadian, he would say, It is the cherished abode of our beloved, the cherished abode of our cherished loved one. We visited the blessed sites of Qadian together. He continues, I was astonished that respected Fatih Sahib was familiar with every landmark and knew detailed history about them. The day he was to depart from Qadian, we visited Bet Zikr and Bet Dua after Fajr prayers. There I witnessed the extent of his humility and meekness and I could not hold back my emotions. When we finished from there and headed towards the way that led to Beshti Makbra, he suddenly became worried and anxious and looking to and fro. I asked about the matter and he began to cry and weep and then fell to the ground in prostration. He then stood up, raised his hands to the skies and with a trembling voice said, O oh God, you know how dear it is for me to be this close to my beloved. O oh God, you know that I desire to spend this night right here, but in a few moments it will be our time to depart. This was because he was informed on the day of this incident that it was now time for his return. He continued, You have power over all things. The outcome of all things is in your hand. Everything happens by your command, including the establishment and amendment of laws. Delay my departure so that I may find comfort and ease for a few more hours. Nevertheless, it so happened that the car arrived and Fatih Sahib's luggage was loaded into it as he was informed that his seat was booked for the day. Just moments later, Fatih Sahib's voice echoed throughout Surah Wasim, saying, God is the greatest, God is the greatest. Hussain al-Misri Sahib further narrates, Fatih Sahib said, My merciful Lord 
heard my prayer and delayed my departure and remained engaged in praising God and thanking Him. I climbed down and Fatih Sahib came and hugged me saying, Did you see how by virtue of the blessings of the Prophet Allah the Almighty accepted our prayers and how he does in fact accept prayers. Tears filled his eyes and upon observing him I was also overcome with emotion. He explained, the organizers were mistaken and thought that my flight was booked for today but as a matter of fact it was for the next day or another day completely. He became aware of his coming demise and expressed that to Hussein Sahib and for the program he was preparing for MTA. He left guidance instructing how to prepare it from now on. The Promised Messiah received a revelation meaning the devotees of Syria and the servants of Allah from among the Arabs are supplicating on your behalf. The Promised Messiah has written Allah alone knows what the import is and when or how it may come to pass. And Allah knows best. In any case, we have seen that by the grace of Allah the Almighty, wherever Jamaats and Arab countries are being established, and this example which I have presented of Fatih Sahib, it is evident how Allah the Almighty is bringing forth such sincere people who pray for the Promised Messiah and express their love and compassion and affection. Hatim Sahib attests to this as well when he writes, It is not possible to express Fatih Sahib's love for the Prophet Sallallahu Prophet Sahib's books and his poetry. His love for Khilafat, obedience and reverence were apparent through his every word and action and was clear to all. He was absolutely certain that Khilafat is a magnificent bounty of God Almighty and would sing praises of thanks for having received it. He had firmly grasped this rope of Allah and was devoted in obedience to Khilafat. I have also witnessed this for myself. His love and affection was of an extraordinary level, such that his eyes would fill with tears upon meeting me, and was evident from every action of his, along with great respect and reverence. If ever he brought any scholarly point or argument to me, and I was not able to follow it, or refuted it, or if I asked him to do further research, he would accept it wholeheartedly. In other words, he was an ardent devotee and true helper of Khilafat. Usama Abdul Azim Sahib writes, Fathi Abdul Salam Sahib was a great scholar. Despite being advanced in years, he was a very humble person. He would approach even the youngest among us with great respect and would accept their advice. He was extremely forbearing. If ever he acted unjustly with someone, he would apologize in front of everyone with great humility and would kiss that person on the head. He loved Islam a great deal and wished to help Ahmadi youth become such servants and soldiers who possessed both knowledge and spirituality. He would advise us late into the night and draw our attention towards fulfilling our obligations to the community. He continues, he was very forbearing. Even if someone spoke to him in an impolite manner, he would not respond harshly. I am also aware of this. There are some who have caused him great hardship and acted very harshly towards him. Yet, even if, for some reason, Fatih Sai responded with some harsh words in the moment, 
he asked for forgiveness. In fact, sometimes he would write to me saying that he said such and such to such and such person and that he had also sought forgiveness from them. Such forbearance is found in very few people. Tamim Sahib writes, he would often say that nothing in Islam can be done right without Khilafat. What we require now is not to be drawn to anything else, rather what we need now is Khilafat, which settles disputes and directs us through divine guidance. He was always ready to abandon anything which was not accepted by the Khalifa. Whenever he met Hazul, he would become overcome with a special sort of happiness and with great love. He would ecstatically recount the meeting and whatever was discussed. Samar Sahiba, a woman from Palestine, writes, I saw a dream which seemed real, that myself and my sister Seher were sitting and she informed me that someone has told her that there was an angel sitting in a gathering surrounded by Ahmadis. When Fatih Sahib arrived, the angel said to him, You are the most beautiful jasmine flower. Upon this I remarked to my sister, How pious Fatih Sahib is. Tayyip Nadim Sahib from the Arabic desk writes, One of his esteemed qualities was that despite being a great scholar, he was very humble. His love for the works of the Prophet was so profound that it is unknown how many times he read Brahim Ahmadiyya and would find new meanings and present them. He recorded various programs on this subject as well. He also brought his liveliness to the Jalsa. We all know of his loud and powerful voice and on the final day he would enthusiastically raise slogans. There was a certain passion in his slogans and it seemed as if it was emanating directly from the heart. May Allah the Almighty enable his children to follow in his footsteps and accept the prayers he offered for his children. May he elevate his station. The next mention is of respected Razia Begum Saiba, wife of Khalid Mubashir Sahib, the former missionary in charge Canada and former Amir and missionary in charge Sierra Leone. She too passed away in recent days. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Khalid Sahib writes that his wife Razia Begum stood shoulder to shoulder with him as a life devotee during his extended time in the field of propagation and was able to serve the community with great patience, passion and enthusiasm. Especially in Africa, she had the opportunity to extend her hospitality and serve. She never made any unnecessary request and was able to serve with patience and gratefulness alongside her life devotee husband. She was regular in her worship and would partake in giving alms and financial sacrifices with great enthusiasm and passion. Before her demise, she completed all of her monetary contributions. She was a Musia. She is survived by a son, three daughters and their children. May Allah the Almighty bestow His forgiveness and mercy and elevate her station. The next mention is of respected Saira Sultana Saiba, wife of Dr. Sultan Mubashir Saib. She also passed away recently due to a heart attack. Verily to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return.
By the grace of Allah, she had the opportunity of serving in various capacities within the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Auxiliary Organization in Pakistan, especially in the development of khidmat e khalq Her husband, Dr. Sultan Bashir Sahib, writes, She was loyal to the community and Khilafat. She was very happy with the fact that our home is close to Masjid Mubarak. When she got married, her mother-in-law had already passed away, while her father-in-law, Mulana Dosma Mashai Sahib, was still alive. She served him like a daughter and would tend to all of his needs. She would take exceptional care of the guests who would come to meet him at any time of the day and were from all around the world. She fulfilled the role of being the daughter-in-law of a life devotee. She took great care of the poor and spent generously in this regard to the extent that sometimes in this endeavor she would fall into debt. At times she even sold her jewelry and made sure to tend to the poor no matter what. She was regular in her financial contributions. At times she would offer financial contributions by selling her jewellery. She also presented her jewellery for the sake of various initiatives. Not only would she offer her own financial contributions, but would also offer them on behalf of her deceased parents. She valued cleanliness, she was devoted, regular in her prayers and fasting, and in offering tahajjud prayer. May Allah Almighty bestow her with forgiveness and mercy and elevate her station. She has two sons. May he enable them to carry on her virtues. May he grant patience to the children as well as to Dr. Sahib. The next mention is of respected Ghusun al-Mazwani Sahiba of Syria, who is residing these days in Turkey. She also passed away in recent days at the age of 39. Verily to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. She had been ill for an extended period of time. By the grace of Allah she was a Musia, the president and missionary of the community in Turkey. Sadiq Bhatt Sahib writes, She migrated from Syria in 2015. In 2016 she was appointed as the president of the Ahmadiyya Women's Auxiliary Organization Iskandrun and served in this capacity until her demise. She was ill for quite some time and was bedridden. Even during this illness, she spent every moment in service to the faith. She would propagate the message of Islam Ahmadiyyat on the internet in different forums and also played a pivotal role in the education and moral training of Syrian women. She was loved by all, she was kind and wished well for everyone. Some women have written to me and have praised her as well. May Allah the Almighty treat the deceased with forgiveness bestow his mercy and elevate her station. As I mentioned, after the Friday prayers, I will lead their funeral prayers in absentia. Alhamdulillah, 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 وَنُؤْمِنُ بِهِ وَنَتَوَكَّلُ عَلَيْهِ وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شُرُورِ أَنفُسِنَا وَمِنْ سَيِّئَاتِ أَعْمَالِنَا مَنْ يَعْدِهِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ وَمَنْ يُضْلِلْهُ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ 